Weekly Writing Prompt Podcast. I'm Matthias. And I'm Jarvis. Jarvis and I are spooky ghosts who haven't picked up a pencil since uh, we died in the 16th century. So we're a little out of practice. Mm -hmm. So we are issuing a ghostly challenge. Each week we sit down. Our goal is to write a complete short story using three or four randomly generated words. Then we come on the podcast, we read a story, we talk about what we learned in reading it, and then we talk about stories sent in by you wonderful, dunderful listeners. We're simply here to help you do the right thing. A Doof, a Doof Media, Media Podcast production. Network podcast. So uh, is, any, is any challenge issued by a ghost a ghostly challenge? That is true, yeah. Um, because if a ghost said, hey, pick up that that pencil you're not you're, you're not just picking up a pencil you're picking up a ghostly pencil wait 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 the ghost just by just by naming the pencil made it a ghostly pencil yeah yeah because uh basically to ghosts and uh other demon like creatures uh names hold a lot of power Mm -hmm. So thus by naming something that thing in inherently turns into mm. into the thing mm. that named it. Um that sounds like a lot of that sounds that sounds like a tricky situation. If I was in there, I think I would turn to the ghost and say, "I'm going ghost," and then I would just walk out. <laughs> yeah, how do that's you a, get a ghost to like That's leave? a Danny Phantom joke. Yes it is. Cuz you got to catch them all cuz he's Danny Turner. Wait, did you just did you just sing some of the intro? I could it, you just had rhythm in how you said it, but it did sound like the intro. It did, but it didn't. It's, um, it, wait, does it go? Wait, how does how, what's what's the what's the chorus? It's is it he's gonna catch them all? Yeah, because he's Danny he's, Phantom. He's he's gonna catch them all because he's Danny Phantom. He's gonna, he's gonna catch them all because he's, he's Danny, Danny Phantom. Phantom. He's gonna catch them all because he's Danny Phantom. Danny ooh, Phantom. Ooh, and then it does the ooh song part. Yeah. Um, wait. So he's he's. I mean, okay, okay. Here's here's a. Hey Jarvis, I have I have I have something very important. I have a theory, but not just a theory, a game theory that game uh, theory. Ash Ketchum and Danny Phantom are the same person. They even look kind of similar. They do look similar. I, I do get what you're saying, but how are they the same person? Like, like what well, is they're both going to catch them all. And I think I don't need to Whoa. explain any more than that. Hold on, hold on. Are ghosts just Pokemon? But like, I mean, there's ghost Pokemon. Maybe this is just a different world. Where there's only ghost Pokemon. Oh yeah, maybe. Oh maybe, after Danny Phantom catches all of them. The world resets into the Pokemon world. I mean, so Ash like Ketchum okay, is Danny okay. Phantom well, here's, here's some here's some more here's some more parallels. Here's some more parallels. Okay. Uh, so I mean, first of all, the character design is very similar. But both young boy. I, I mean, one is mm -hmm. like ten, but the other. I mean, they both they both look of indeterminate age. Young yeah. age. They're cartoon. They're characters. both like random okay. thirteen. Uh, they both have a female sidekick. One is goth and the other one is peppy. Although, I mean, it also depends. Ash has different female sidekicks, but always mm -hmm. at least one. And then they both and have darker skin. I sidekicks. was about to say that they both have black sidekicks as well, which I, it's actually is Brock black. I don't want him to be I don't, because I, I don't feel like know. that's that's just a net loss. Like I don't think that's the opposite of diversity. He is black. Yeah, I I think maybe he's just a dark skinned Japanese person. 
Yeah, that's probably right. I know. Is it, it might I mean, not really actually be too bad. I mean, like, really growing up, I thought he was black. But that was just me because of his hair and skin tone. Yeah. Yeah. He's He also sucks, though, is the problem. What do you... Uh, hey, is it his fault that all he cares about is talking to lovely ladies <laughs> and nothing Being else? A creep. Being a creep. But hey, uh, at did the I tell very you end, I, I think I he dated did. a girl that... Um, that her favorite movie was Pokemon: The Rise of Darkrai. She cried whenever Darkrai dies in that movie. Really? I mean, we, we watched it. She there cried. There were a lot better Pokemon movies, but that was three I mean, months ago. A, I mean, that's a strong. She's movie. an adult. I'm, I'm not gonna woman, lie, but twenty four or something. Twenty four, and she's crying when Darkrai dies. Yeah. I well. like. I mean, everyone. You could be attached to your to your movies. It was just. I mean, I watched it with her, and it's just not a good movie. It's just a. <laughs> it's just a bad kids movie. I mean, it is. It like okay in the entire lineage of Pokemon movies, that one is definitely farther down the um, totem pole. I mm-hmm. would say that that one that might be worse, but it's probably better than than it is the one with uh, Lucario. Uh, is it that the one with the wish, with the wishing Pokemon that gives you wishes? No, you're thinking of the one with, uh, with, uh, Entei. That's the wishing Pokemon. I, uh, mm, is, mm, maybe? Well, because the little, I know the little, that Entei and also, can grant wishes. No, it wasn't Entei. It was a little, it was a little, like, star baby girl Pokemon. Star baby girl? Yeah, her head is a star and she's like a tiny little baby. Or the other the other good baby Pokemon legendary Pokemon movie was Celebi, which is like a time travel forest spirit mm. thing. I remember okay, liking that, that one as a kid. Um and also the one with uh Groudon and um and uh what's the the it's the the, the sapphire and, and ruby ones. What are they called? No, no, no. No, no. Hey, listen. The one, I am no. not. It's Groudon, Rayquaza, and yes. Kyogre. That's it. Kyogre. Kyogre. Okay. That one was cool. There's Honestly, a cyborg guy who he he has a thing where he keeps saying there are two kinds of people in the world. Oh, he's a pirate too. He's a cyborg pirate. <laughs> um, there's two kinds of people in the world, and then he like says different things each time. The people who run away or the people who fight or whatever i don't think he says oh that, yeah honestly then, can we can we just step back to when the unknown movie came out because that was i never watched revolutionary for me really mm-hmm. that one was really good well granted i don't remember much from like when i was that young when i first saw it but i remember i am gonna bet money jarvis that it was actually very bad really it was bad I, I, I don't know. I hadn't seen it, but it probably was. Probably. I mean, granted, if you really think about it. This is now a Pokemon movie Pokemon discussion movies. podcast. This is all we're going to do from now on. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're, we're going to go down the Next, line, starting the, from the first one, which is the best one. This is a good transition into the challenge, which is next week we are all, uh, in, including including every one of you, going to be writing Pokemon fanfiction. If you don't write a Pokemon fanfiction, I will be deleting your post. So mm-hmm. uh, just keep also, that in mind. Just throw a Pikachu account. in there. We're going to report you. That's true. That's true. That is true. With multiple um, uh, sock puppet uh, Reddit accounts. So I have 10 <laughs> accounts ready to report you at once. Uh, yeah, it'll be no problem at all. <laughs>
<laughs> well, <laughs> as you probably all already know if you're listening to this, this is, well, at the time of re-recording this and also when it's going to come out, this is post-spooky month. But the prompt this post for this week month. was horror. But we are still in horror times as this mm-hmm. episode comes out on the most horrible of days in the past decade. The 2020 the day before election the day. election. Well, it comes out on the day of the election. Oh, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully everything's going good when you're listening to this. Uh, <laughs> hopefully you weren't shocked at what happens at the end of tonight. But also you have to remember there are so many votes either people that voted by mail or um, any other way that are not going to be counted um, tonight. For a couple, yeah. Or not at yeah, all, for, depending. Who knows? Yeah, depends on a lot of court cases. So stay strong, stay vigilant, and wait till all of the votes come in before we can all before either we celebrate riot. or cry or riot, depending as, on what happens. As, as the case may be. I hope, I hope crying is followed by... Unless it's Tears of Joy, followed by rioting. I think that's the correct option to take. So, um, like, so like either way, you want it to end in a riot? Uh, I mean, I just don't think that it will end in any way except for rioting. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it could be, uh, it could be either quote-unquote side. It could be both sides. Uh, isn't it strange how in uh, American how in uh american politics we've uh created this like team versus team dynamic even yeah. though hey, maybe the people that should be the president and others should be elected on their merit and not with what party they're they're representing yeah. but you know yeah i don't um yeah that's just i that's just how social dynamics end up just devolves into this most simple version you can use and Mm. it's pretty simple now there's good guys and bad guys and our good guys are more like gray morally but we'll just pretend they're good guys for now to get through this but because the bad guys are real bad guys so and it's it's funny we're it 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 feels like we're just in one big sandbox (laughs) yeah i want to i want to have nuanced discussions about politics you know i want to debate the merits of this economic policy or or the other it's just can we we can't get past the basics so Mm -hmm. here we are having to having to do the do the stupid game thing to make sure that the very basics are acknowledged but whatever (laughs) Um, yeah. Anyway, that's just where we are. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's that's our nice transition into yeah. the theme of this week, which is horror. We read horror uh, that 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 the Lovecraftian horror uh, this week, and you guys delivered on writing many horror horrible stories. They were absolutely horrible. I felt terrible mm-hmm. reading them. So, thank you very much. Yeah. They uh, they made me it. feel sad, but in the best way possible. Uh, yeah, in the I heart. Really love it for them. Yeah, they made we, me we sad a... in my heart and in my fear part of my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. uh, it is great, honestly. We have a lot of effective uh, stories that were submitted this week. So I'm really looking forward to uh, reading and talking about those at the end of the podcast. That's right. What were the words this week, Jarvis? So the words for this week were worth, trait, yearn, and cage. And Jarvis, you actually did write a story this week. Wow, what a return to tradition, a return to form. Um, I know. This week. Um, that's really cool. Uh, let's just, let's just, is there anything we should know about your story getting into it? So so the, 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 the challenge next week 
that you are trying to illustrate here is third person omniscient, right? Mm-hmm. Which which honestly was a little bit different from what I'm used to. Um, for the most part, I either write in first person or do write in the third person that is heavily connected to one character uh, and doesn't really step outside of that of, of that one character's perception. So uh, creating a, a so creating a story that um, focuses on different a- of, on different aspects of one space of one situation was definitely more of a challenge for me this week. But I also think it uh, at the end of the day for me was pretty rewarding, if not for the product that I made, just you know testing that uh, muscle that I haven't really flexed all too much. Um, so I guess going into the story, there's nothing that really needs to be said. Um, this idea just came to me one night, and I just wanted to uh, write it down, see what it would look like on page. And uh, if uh, after this this podcast, I still feel pretty good about it, I might uh, continue to make more uh, entries in this story. But we'll just ha- we'll just have to see. Speaking of more entries in the, in a story, uh, it. Th- this is the second day of NaNoWriMo. This is the second day of uh, National Novel Writing Month. So I just Ooh. wanted to mention that right now, um, that through the month of November, there's a challenge for those of you don't, that don't know to write a story with 50,000 words to finish a novel Ooh. basically in the month of November. You have to write a certain amount of di- words a day. And it's a pretty good way to just you know try and see if you can get yourself to write and like really commit to, to accomplishing a project over the course of the month. It's totally okay to not reach the mark um and or to adjust it to however you know whatever level you need you know if you're if you work a lot obviously just lower the word count a bit and write a little bit less each day or write just get into the habit of writing that's the most important important part i think Um, i think definitely uh since every year i've uh, already uh, i've always known that it happens during the month of november and i've always wanted to to really try it but i think this year uh i'm actually gonna gonna put my foot down and do it uh this time because uh, overall i think it's a really good um exercise i mean you don't really have to put so much strain on exactly i guess the effectiveness of what you're writing the the, the point of it is to create that complete work and you know edit and then uh everything else but yeah i think it's a really great challenge and it helps at least me try and shoot shoot higher than uh what i'm normally going for so yeah yeah um so we fully support everyone that is uh writing their novels for this month if, if anyone's doing that go ahead and leave it in one of your 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 comments to yourself um and, and let us know how that's that's going definitely definitely well i think without further ado i'll go ahead and roll into my story please so the title of this one is king's campaign Part 1. Blasphemous Traitor Baseless candles flaked light in the corner of the room. Their warm glow shone through cobwebs and dusty books that cluttered the walls and floors. Likewise to the rest of the inn, the advisor's room smelt of the old, muddy road a step outside his lone window to the east. Ample wear and tear creaked the floorboards, once used as a hidden nook for convicts and the cushions speckled green as the rot that separated his toes made home in the bottom of glasses. Deep in the inn was the single room of smoky bark, past a bar and through two locked chambers. If the constable wasn't there, Claus, Desdemona, 
and the executioner would have been long lost in this shack of doors. The constable was nice enough to them, eyed the strangers as they blew into town. Though he was the law, the lawless ill-walked near his smelly little town, so his time was spent with bottles of mead, lovely men, and beautiful women. He was an army man, after all, fought for and against the king all in the same day. So before every sip, before his hands tantalized another courtesan enamored with his healthy skin, the simplest of mantras eased his battle-ready mind. You deserve this, Joffrey. So imagine his surprise when something sightless stumbled in to the green goddess pub and inn. When the double doors blew open to empty chairs and waxy tables, the candlelight stuttered red against glasses and bottles that looked filled amply. In fact, this small closet of tables and doors was more impressive than the crumpled tower and charred shacks down the road. There were patrons, usuals who didn't pay a lick, clustered in the back around the constable and his many lovers. Their numbers were three, he thought with a side-eye, and stuck close to each other they did, as children would huddle for strength. First was Claus, privileged, straight back, smug little shit with a slick tongue and a bad soul. He was the kind of savior who thought to wash his face, trim his hair and smile, also the kind to either ask for compensation or let wondrous hands find what money they may the right things for the wrong reasons with this one. A manipulative trick from a pretty face and the blue tailored garb of royals. He took the lead in all things, sauntered up to the bar and tossed coin and pleasantries to the bubbly barkeeper who hadn't seen a pretty man in months. Ah, new blood in old pudding. What brings you about Simo? The barkeep was all smiles as he poured Claus a tall glass of the special stuff. Little more than travel. Pleasure, not business. Claus smiled back, noticing the eyes of the barkeep roam around his guard. A lovesick puppy, just a lover, easy pickings for what he knows. Well, pleasure is a plenty here, for any discretion of your liking. Claus took the glass to his lips, sipped the brown foam as if to savor its sour. Sharply, he felt a lack of presence about, looked back to his two compatriots huddled by the door just out of sight. Come ye creatures of the night, enjoy a drink before we're drunk. He laughed jovial and waved them over. The smallest of the two, Desdemona, emerged in a black silk garb reminiscent of a nun's uniform. Around the arms and lower laces, the fabric was torn into shreds, and where you would expect religious accents, a crest of their god or trimmings of scripture, were stripped away in place of armor plating around the chest and shoulder. She was silent and walked effortlessly through the tables and toppled chairs. My friends and I seek intellectual pleasure. Claus winked at the barkeep, knowing well that charm could get him far. Ah, well, Simo's low on text. What little we had burned brighter than our Cuthrilidric tower. Desda joined them at the bar, took Claus's drink, and finished what little was left before sliding it in to the barkeep's hand. Another for Desda here, and we seek not books, just the knowledge. Kingly knowledge, if you ask for specificity. 
The barkeep caught whiff of their hints, shot a side-eye to the constable who watched with attention before he spoke. Kingly, no such knowledge resides in a town of revolutionaries. No such knowledge. You know, Claus snapped the air, catching his thoughts. They told us no one would be Gabby, but I expected at least communicable people with secrets. Right, Lore? Finally, the barkeep took note of the dark apparition behind the two strangers. What once his eyes fastened to be a trick of the light was a hooded symbol of ye old gallows. Even at a distance, Lore was a giant, covered from head to toe in, in rounded iron armor that sucked in candlelight. Featureless, pristine, the kind of armor sword swing slid off of, yet still allowed the user to breathe. The armor had no helmet, however. Lore has never revealed their face to the sun. Instead, their face was a black sack, loose-fitting, with perfect eye holes that are screened over with a thinner fabric. They're a mute whose axe speaks volumes, beefeater in size. They too want a bit to think about on our journey north. Claus was untrue in his assumption. Yes, Lore, the executioner, couldn't utter a word and did stand a foot above the rest. But their presence was a birthright given through years of breeding with heretics. So they inherited their size and strength. But somewhere along the line, the voice box shriveled to leave room for thicker skin. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint your friends, but we're a town of beggars and brothels. No scholars in sight. Throughout his speech, the barkeep kept an eye on lore, on the eye holes that radiated blackened intent. I can smell lies on ya, mead master. Fear. A bit of lust, claws. Desa took the glass out of the barkeep's hand, passed it back to lore, and smiled, toothy, to let the barkeep see her razor-sharp teeth that were black at the gums reaching a violet crest at their peak, corrosive. My friends can handle your little candor and cheapception, but I'm truly curious why you're hiding the king's advisor in your cellar closet. She sniffed the air, slow and sweet. Mmm, did I strike a nerve? The barkeep rushed away from the sweet man with scary friends and waved a hand back, Constable. As he led them down an inky corridor, the constable kept a hand under his black coat, firmly pressed around a iron-cast crossbow, small enough for a single hand to wield, but old enough to gum up in a pinch. The strangers pleaded their case, a few more dolts hot after the crown. But you'd be surprised the lies one would tell to snip the head off of anyone in the king's cabinet. That's what the town feared. Eventually, they made it to a door adjacent to the washroom and back exit. The constable opened the door, ushered the three in, and shut it tight. Him staying guard in case his suspicions weren't as ill-placed as he thought. And there he was, the famed advisor to the old dead king. By now he'd aged a little past 127, unusual for peasants but young for a royal. Royal he did not look like. Brown sashes covered his chest and privates, 
Stationary thin sandals protected his callous clawed feet, and long, gray, spider-like hair grew out from his head as branches would a tree, tracing down round his arms and shoulders to legs and floors, his dingy split ends residing somewhere underneath his bed. The three travelers were little stimuli to the advisor, who looked out his window at the shining proof of their crescent sun. Unassuming is the town outside this dank inn, dissimilar to the ones westward or north. This one sat low in the Helaean Valley, the one the king's son loved so much for their treason, he burned their crops and boiled their eggs. The ones whose inception marked the end of beautiful genocide, and a trickle of lesser revolutions that bubbled and simmered till the crowns lay spackled with blood. Oh, how funny, for something fathomed by rebels, something sacred to budding democracy and traitors to the monarch, that there's little splendor upon sight. How you would view a greedy beggar with ragged teeth and a sob story. Simotel was a saddening presence to, to southern pilgrims of hard-fought starvation and bloody nights. Simo's pungent smell of unkempt sorrow hung above tree lines and found its way in the mud that padded the town. Once was this town known for its smells, its art, and freedom, rang true through the advisor's mind. It now was a place where a beggar is richer than the merchant, and the constable worked solely for mead. No, this town isn't a few shacks and a brothel. There's an inn too, and a dank bar wet with dusty boots and rain rot. In the fields placed just beyond the entrance, there were more weeds than residents, the whole of the townsfolk making up little more than a court of stooges. Simotel does still brandish niceties. In the intricacies of old-world architecture, as seen in their circular cathedral, whose dirk wood shackles and topaz windows have long been graveled, ribbed it was with iron spikes, an asymmetrical protrusion branching off a mile up that acted as a watchtower to the meek below. Long flogged and blown asunder, this tower for God lay in a horizontal heap. Parnar Portrusion, advisor, claws bowed his head as a sign of kingly respect, a sign the seasoned advisor turned an eye to. No light game purchase in that back room, except for the candles, burned down through the wax. Slow, the eye is to make out motion or, or life. But in the dust of the room, the advisor spoke, low and groaned, as if each word was a story in itself. Guests for the chatting, gifts for the gabby, me hopes. Art thou traveler, royal, venturer, or spy? Three simple travelers astray from the herd. Claus stepped further, holding a hand to his friends to tell them, hold off. Liar you be. The elder man turned from the door to the table, reached below his, his robes, and placed an odd crossbow with tiny metal arrows that fastened into a cartridge. Good for you, liar meself be. Come in, present ye gift. 
Claus stepped up, traced a room for a seat that resided near the window. From the hidden pocket in his royal garb, he produced a small square box, wrapped in string and tan paper. Fine sweets from the south. Sweets. The advisor chuckled as he reached for it. No, of my sweet tooth and affinity for southern cuisine, either well-read on my history or a royal with an ear for charm. Ah, one of the latter. We're here to become quick friends of your know-how and knowledge. The advisor found their company friendly. Many have traveled far for his direction. Many have gifted gold and slaves. Both he'd hand off to the constable to deal with. But sweets, tantalizing treats thought of for children and gluttons, is well welcome in his chamber. In fact, he had half the mind to call out to the constable to be at ease, to tell the barkeep to close his attentive ears, to signal to the guard kneeled outside the window to remove the rapier that tickled the back of Claus's tunic. But only a fool believed in quick friends. Know how of the crown, me speculates. Have not you heard the rumored path location? Ah, or are you tricksters? in search for safe passage. Both would suffice, we're used to both. Desda spoke up, still standing at, at the entrance with Lore, stiff, at the ready, in case things go sideways. Well, my quick friends, many I told of the king's path through to south, round the spiral staircase connect to mountain peak, but meek you look. You're none too, so round the river should make do. Which river? Claus interrupted, slightly furious of old men with riddles. None. Your kind hath made a home in the forest about the east. Return, rest amply. Follow the runoff your god-idol pisses north. There's the river. Follow, and the sun will show you a back door. My people worship little more than the hunt. Know not of what idol you speak. The advisor smiles. Well, interested in how their journey will turn out. Well, perhaps you ask Kin for guide. I will advise, however, that you stop your campaign here and now. Claus spoke up, leaning in for understanding. Why, advisor? Can you not hear the clash of arms? Over yonder, where I once lay my head, there are trillions of maggots, picking over the hundreds who tried. The old king killed a god, ye know. Our son's been crescent e'er since. To the sun he looked, a begrudging sight. Legions of warriors, to scribe, have raged war with each other over his accursed blade. Even now... They fight and battle, tossing the thing from corpse to corpse with no knowledge of how he struck down our creator. You, meek, will be grain in the grinder. God's hands, his feet, and sword are at play here. My advice? The crowns, dear kids. The crowns conduct his spirit. Embed any blade with the poison of reality, and all three are buried with King Vox and his many men. Back to the travelers he looked, 
casting light in his milky eyes. Turn away if you dream of summer after. All roads end at the king's campaign. Claus took heed, thought back to the small cottage, a family lying in wait for a father gone too long chasing ghosts. Then he looked to his friends, with nowhere to turn, who thought of their brisk walk through sunless woods, and the many heads they've taken for coin. This summer after would look brighter with the new king? Puzzlement crossed the advisor of the resentful determination of the three before him. Not so. Heal or hurt a new king will do. Me hope's health is in their heart, however. Then King Vox must tumble in his grave, for by winter's end he'll be no more than a god-killer. No truer words were said in that shack, and the party of three departed swiftly to Desda's home. Oh, how Claus's words rang, through the valley and trees alike, east and down, in the waters that ebb and flow, to the trenches ripe with algae, a crack in the darkest of corners sprung air in its pockets. The invocation of his name reached Rosemary's garden, a long stretch of, of willows and graves close to the waters far, far east, once a well-tended burial site for royals gone too soon. The garden now sat as an ashland of pompous fungi. Underneath, in a dark cave of dry stalactites, lonesome is the grave of King Vox Prada, a gray grave, unmarked by traitors and grown over by spurtiloses, sizable wide-brim fungi that spurts the air with his nauseous gas, green their mist, acidic to the skin. His bones lay bare, no time taken to cover the rotten thing. This is where the words reside, revolving and contorting with a spore-filled mist of spite. No more than a god-killer. Old bones form their green flesh in squishy fungi and their fibrous hairs. A cursed blade. Maggots. Deep in the gooey tissue of brain matter, boiled in his heated rage. By winter's end, pulled by no source, summoned by no power, leathery paws clung to the muddy lining of his grave. Meek men have won, live it out as a peasant or royal, but kings have many lives. Kings transcend flesh and body. Kings are gods in their own right, and no revolution or band of brothers can kill a god. Many can try, and dozens have, but this king still held his crown. Excellent story, Jarvis. Um, so you have this 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 classic scene of these uh, adventurers in a tavern, each with a, a a little bit different thing going on. Um, talking to this this bartender and then to this advisor who is also like another another interesting character um and you're you're expositing some some world building all along all along the way uh what is uh what inspired this this piece what were you trying to go for here specifically um so yeah uh recently uh 
don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but I've been getting really deep into uh, stoner slash doom metal, uh, which is basically a genre of metal that is a lot slower um, and it focuses so much more on these sort of intoxicating trance-like uh, riffs that kind of persist th- throughout the song. It, I don't know. It's, it's a genre of, of music that I really, really like because uh, it kind of just like m- matches up to my in uh, to my internal rhythm. Um, but I found this one band I thought was really cool named uh, Dungeon Weed. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Which it's it's a fantastic band name. Um, but listening to their songs, um, I just really, this world starts to, to slowly piece itself together in, uh, in my mind. For, I guess, a bit of context, the genre of music that they classify themselves as is uh, Wizard Sludge. <laughs> That's fantastic. And- and that is um, very telling at what kind of music they uh, do play. So, yeah, through listening to that, listening to a lot of their songs, all, all of their albums, um, this world just kind of slowly started to build upon itself. And I feel that this, for me, is a mixture of me listening to to that and uh, me recently getting the um, Dark Tower graphic novel and uh, really falling in love in like how the characters talk to each other, uh, a lot of the lingo that is being tossed back and forth, I just really liked it, and uh, I, I noticed how effective that that was in bringing me in to the story. So, in some ways, I try to replicate that here. Uh, what aspects of like the Dark Tower were you bringing in there? Was it just like the the language, or was it it was like, other it was the aspects? language? It was a lot of the tones that I that I, that I really picked up on. Um, and, and also, you know, I, uh, do like the idea of a band of characters traveling through a world with one, with one central goal that is much grander than, uh, they are in themselves. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I, I guess those like overarching aspects I kind of borrowed and decided to put it into this story. Yeah. So what's the like, um, theme that you were, you're heading towards here? A theme that I'm really building here, this idea, I guess so, like, one major thing that I'm going to try and focus on in, in this, and if I do can continue this, uh, is the concept of a power vacuum, um, mm-hmm. and the and the idea that a leader is a lot more important um, than just what they can do and their merit. It goes down to, like their intention and um exactly why they want to be this this leader uh and you know i i did borrow a bit in in light of recent events of a leader that is that's obviously bad for the masses um Mm -hmm. which in my mind that is uh king vox prada okay Um, so yeah that was that was one thing that was I really want to try and focus on if I do continue to uh, continue this is just showing the fallout that happens when there is this sort of power vacuum, Um, how things break down to their essentials and that even after something as as powerful and beautiful as a revolution, that the world itself is not necessarily better off afterwards 
Yeah, so you seem to have two of those in uh, the story. So both the king is dead, but also the god that he killed is dead as well. So mm-hmm. it seems like there's two whole uh, pretty big <laughs> vacuums there. It seems like in the, the, the result of the death of a god, for whatever reason that it was killed, it's sort of like a net loss as well. Regarding the, the, the third person omniscient, so there was a, a couple times that, like closer to the beginning where I wasn't like confused as to what perspective perspective I was in, but it sort of felt like unattached, I guess. Like I, I feel I felt like it at sometimes it felt a little bit floaty. Um mm-hmm. and I'm not entirely sure I mean obviously grounding it into one specific character is kinda of like the opposite of the exercise, so not doing that is, is is good. But I'm not entirely sure how to fix that sort of problem would have been. Maybe focusing a lot more almost like neutrally in the scene maybe i don't i'm not entirely sure yeah i mean i think one reason why it does feel that way is based off of the choice of how i decided to organize this story um because at at first um there is a paragraph about halfway through the story where we turn out to the town and we and we talk about how how this town isn't the one to to the north or the, or the east but it's the one in the valley that was burned by the king's son and just you know of course that entire section is just sheer world building um but that is where i wanted to start the story i decided not to do that because i kind of wanted i guess the mind's eye camera to uh, start off small in in one pay in in one place, and then jump back in time to a wider lens, only to go back to that one place and then turn out to the world. Um, so I guess I was playing a lot of where the perspective is going, um, and I think through doing that, yeah, I, it does feel very floaty at times. I mean, I did try to ground it in specific places, but there are definitely moments when I am describing these these areas without going into deep de, de, uh, description, like the entire transition from this inn into Rosemary's Garden, that, that whole section of like where... Uh, the words of of Claus is is going is very very floaty, but I kind of use that as a mystical transition into this different area. Yeah, um, I could see that. Um, I, I did enjoy how we got stuff about that world building, even while like some characters were having their dialogue, and I think it sort of fit that way fairly well. Like it was well paced enough that I didn't forget the dialogue while the world building was going on, and I didn't forget the world building while the dialogue was going on either. Um, so I think that was well done. Well done. Um, I also like that the the sort of character with some of these, uh, uh, in, in the dialogue of these characters, uh, particularly like the, the advisor is like a very specific sort of way of talking. Um, at times it was like a little bit harder to understand, but I think that, I mean, it has its own sort of charm and um, it certainly like he gave a lens into the character without having to like, outright say a lot of things we just got that this is sort of like an old uh riddles wizards wizards kind of guy so um Mm -hmm. i thought that was well executed as well yeah yeah uh and i think with that something that i'll probably do if i ever decide to look back at look back at this is not to depend on those tropes so much like i know with the advisor character 
it, I, I felt that it was pretty plain. I mean, I, I do like the description of of this character, but I didn't have time. Granted, you know, I did throw this out in only 30 minutes. Um, so I didn't have so much time to really go into uh, making this advisor character anything other than a uh, old man ripe with with riddles that points the adventurers on their way. Um, when it goes into characters like Lore or uh, Desdemona or uh, Claus, I, I definitely want to work a lot more with making those characters stand out individually and not make it seem so much that Claus is the main is the main character, even though right now that's exactly what it feels like. Yeah, it felt like that. It, I, I didn't feel like that was like such a detrimental thing. I felt like, um, you know, if you want to bring out these other characters more to the fore later on, that's okay. And I, I feel like having a specific main character in a certain scene is certainly not like a like a bad thing. You know, mm-hmm. you only have so many words to work with in a given scene um, or at a given time, and so if they end up being if it ends up that one character ends up being more active, we're going to view them as a protagonist because uh, that's just kind of the definition of a protagonist. But um, mm-hmm. I don't think it's detrimental if that's like not the like last result. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, really, um, uh, going on the topic of third person om- omniscient uh, within this story, and and this is a question to to you. Um, what I try to do to kind of fu- to kind of fulfill this this point of view is laced into just overall description of everything that is that's going on from from multiple angles. I also decided to add uh, a good amount of thoughts of certain characters, and I want to know if that kind of worked effectively in this story for you. Yeah, I think it worked pretty okay. Uh, there were some parts later on where I was a little confused as to what was being said or like why like particularly at the very end the like bits in italics for example mm-hmm. um where they kind of come not like out of nowhere but like they're they are not directly related to like the description happening right there that i felt like could have used a little bit more explanation but for the most part i think they worked pretty well where i i, I knew where they were coming from and um they were characterizing the the actions and dialogue of that character as they were speaking or their reactions to other people's uh dialogue and actions and mm-hmm. uh like there was a part regarding um the 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 advisor uh and when they're when they're talking to him and outside there's like the guard and there's other people and he's reminiscing or he's thinking about you know the idea of like quick friends and how only fools are quick friends and that helped dial- uh helped characterize his own dialogue when he talks about quick friends later on in a second um, I thought that was that was pretty well done, and I think that certainly helped me understand a little bit more of the dy- dynamics of the scene and dynamics of these characters all speaking to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and honestly, as I was writing, that was something that I was having a hard time trying to balance. I mean, uh, I didn't know exactly how how many thoughts I. I could add in without confusing the the audience or making it the majority of um, the uh, ideas that are coming uh, across. But I also wanted to to use a ample um, amount to where it seems like that is a that is a convention of the story and it is effective in that way and not just something that we see once in uh, in the beginning, but these thoughts never uh, occur later. Um, what's to me really yeah. i think yeah no go ahead 
Well, yeah, stories teach you how to read them, and so you're trying to sort of lay out the expectations for the reader as they go forward. So, yeah, that makes a lot of a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm, yeah, and yeah, I think d- definitely when it comes to writing in this point of view, uh, the biggest thing for for me, since the point of view character does know everything, uh, that means that you as a writer have to make that choice of the things that are the most important to show. Um, the things that push the, the story forward. Like, yeah, you could fill it with a whole bunch of description that doesn't necessarily matter. Um, like, uh, for instance, uh, there's a entire paragraph in the middle. I think I, I already talked about it. It's like, uh, unassuming is the town outside of the king's ju- uh, jurisdiction, the town to the left, north, whatever. Which, yeah, that is all world building. That is all exposition. But those are things that did not add to the overall story that I was trying to build beyond like filling out the the world, which then all of those things are just talked about later. So that it's that in entire section kind of loses its purpose, I guess. Yeah, um, yeah, I, I, see, I see what you mean. There was definitely a lot more like relevance to these characters as they talk later on. Like I, I kind of, it, it, upon an edit, maybe like, cutting from the the bartender going like straight to the talk with the advisor might be like more efficient that Mm -hmm. said i think writing that stuff is necessary at least in the draft stage you know like it's something that you wouldn't you wouldn't keep it there in that location when you you know after it's you're you're trying to publish it right oh yeah definitely Um, definitely, but you but now that you have that information down you can now work with it more easily than it was just in your head yeah because i mean really throughout this what it felt like is that uh, because basically, uh, I've been trying to do this thing recently within my life and in my writing where I am going 100% at whatever I'm doing. I, I'm not holding things back uh, because I feel that in my own personal life, I hold a lot of things back. I uh, bite my tongue very often when I probably shouldn't. Um, so when it came to writing this story... I did want to get down every piece of uh, detail or or line that I did have in my mind, uh, which is why it is so long, which is why um, there are like a lot of moments that I would definitely cut from it. Like, I mean, that that whole section, it's good, but all of those descriptors don't need to be in one place because I feel that as soon as as we get there, because we are in very specific places leading up to it for the most part but then there that's a total departure from the flow and the and the only relevance that has to it is that these are the these are the things that the advisor is thinking about is seeing Um, but it doesn't completely link back in Um, so yeah uh, i think one question that i have uh, before we move on is uh, i want you to be brutally honest with me uh, and uh, this is something that I, that I want to start doing whenever we do bring a a story is what within this story is completely not working and holding you back from mm-hmm. enjoying it. Hmm. And, you, you know, it can be like from the the foundation. You can just say that you don't like any of it. Right. I mm-hmm. want complete honesty with this. I think for the most part, it, it, for me, it was like the beginning was a bit rough where. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there, there was a lot of like, I didn't really get why, like where, where things were going or why we were there. 
until we got to the advisor. I was just like lacking in like the 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 purpose, I guess. Okay. And there was a lot of like familiarity with like these these characters that I just like didn't get like why I should be caring about these characters yet, you know? Like um when um uh, what's the 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 nun woman with the the big axe? Desdemona. She doesn't have a big axe. Uh, oh, the big who has, axe who has the more. axe? So I'm guessing that is a point of confusion. Uh, Desdem- uh, Desdemona has the uh, big teeth. Mm-hmm. And then who has the something? Something about the 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 axe and and beef eater. That's that's what I remember. That's <laughs> lore. Character. Okay, yeah, yeah, lore was a the dark, um, the creepy one. Yes, the execution. Um, so those two, like specifically, yeah, were. I just w- didn't know, like, I was g- being given names and, like, a lot of details about them and, like, didn't know what I, w- what or why I should be caring about them yet. So, it, like, for a different example, if they were, like, still described, like, vaguely, right, just as, like, a a, a spooky figure or whatever um, with an axe and someone, you know, dressed in, in a nun's habit but with, like, a little bit of armor and then just, like, their names... And then later on, we were given more details when it became relevant, when they bring up, when, uh, wait, Desmona? Uh, Desdemona. Desdemona, Desdemona, um, like, brings up something about her nunnery, or, um, about her, her background. Then, like, like, when she, when she talks about how her people don't worship an idol, then, then you bring it up. I think that would be a more, a, a, a smoother way of like, oh, okay, well, that's why I need to care about that. But it was like a lot of details where I was like I was not sure of like what I should be caring about or or what I can like. <laughs> I, I mean I shouldn't for need to I shouldn't have to forget about anything. But some of the stuff was like okay this is like a lot of information I don't want at this moment. Yeah okay yeah uh, and I definitely feel that uh, and I and I honestly uh, feel the exact same to a certain extent. I think it honestly um, it <clears throat> is because of me when i first sat down to uh try and write this i was thinking way too far ahead like uh are you in the uh text document that i, that I send you with the like um, yeah i OG saw the, the chapter stuff at the end yeah 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 so there are uh nine other chapters uh and i guess just to uh list them off they are rosemary's god there there are rosemary's garden the sun wolf the executioner flank a a year squabble the king's decree the king's army blessed are the willing and the king's campaign um and when i first sat down to uh write this i i didn't even start the actual story i just came up with with the names and the parts which is dumb right but <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's that. I I think you can start wherever, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, this is how I decide to organize it. But one major issue that I guess I kind of uh, created for myself is that when whenever I did want to add in more details about their past, I I mentally relegated it to their section of of the story. So, like for instance, part part three and uh, part four we're going back in time to uh how they became a part of of this group right which is where you're going to get all of their 
character stuff. But of course, that doesn't create a effective story if in uh, if in the beginning you care nothing about these these characters, and when you do get to those other moments later on, uh, you've already missed the marks. Yeah, I completely get that. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So so if you were to rewrite the story, what would you change? If I were to rewrite this story, I would start with how I decide to organize it. And I will really play a lot more at what the focus of this story is. Where are these characters for the majority of the the story and exactly why? Uh, I would do a better job at really filling out um, this third person perspective and taking a lot more liberties when it comes to providing context. And overall, I would just work a lot with how I decided to organize this story, exactly things that I want to focus on. Uh, I would completely revamp the uh, character of the advisor. I think it's nice so far. Uh, I like a bit of the dialogue, but but everything else I can probably toss. Um, and then <laughs> <Okay>. also... Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I just want to... If I were to go back, I would create a much better ending. Um, and in fact, the the ending of this is solely to lead into part two. But I have to stop thinking in parts, I guess. Uh, and at least when it comes to uh, a individual piece and start thinking of how is this section of this story going to wrap up nicely without mm -hmm. it being dependent on any other uh, on any other section for reader satisfaction um yeah so yeah uh those are a lot of the things that that that, that i'll probably work for uh, work with and yeah honestly if i had a another goal and uh unlimited time let's say the entire month of november or something um <laughs> some some, I, some vague idea about writing a book in november yeah some 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 like that uh i i wouldn't even worry about parts or trying to relegate certain certain sections of a story to a different place i think the biggest issue with this story for for me and something that i noticed uh after i wrote it was that Although the the world building is cool, all, although I do like how people talk and the things that I am describing, this story is missing strong character. Um, mm -hmm. And it's missing that, that in that the audience really needs to fully enjoy this story. So pretty much mm -hmm. the majority of my work is going to be building up that character and really solidifying exactly how the audience should be viewing not only these world, this world and these characters, but the overall purpose of what the story is trying to say. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, those are things that, that I would change. And also I would just work on, I guess, the quote-unquote message, right? Uh, the uh the take away well this is a longer story ending. so i can understand why why there's not one just yet but I, I i like the ones that you outlined before yeah yeah i mean that's definitely uh going to be the entire purpose of it yeah but yeah um okay i think this is a good place to transition into our reader submitted story section exactly so thank you so much to everyone who did submit a story you do our hard good to come in on any given day and see that there are so many stories and there are so many comments. 
Um, so yeah, uh, we are going to be talking about all of these stories very much. So, uh, we are going to spoil them in our discussion. So if you haven't read them, I will wait till we announce them in just a second and then I will go read them and then come on back so you can, uh, talk about them with us. All right. And the stories we are going to be talking about this week are by motive name, Mizey one. Wild Bow, Haunt of the Heron, Captain Rhino. All right, and the first story up is by Captain Rhino with Clean Thoughts. I I, I really like this uh this story. It reminds me a lot of like a Total Recall type. Yeah. So so going into uh, this the, the first of these stories, um, I'm, I, were these all horror? Were they were they all horror? Was there anyone that wasn't horror? I guess we'll find out. Um, I'm pretty sure they were all horror. Uh, in any case, they were all horrible, and they made me feel the horror. So good job, <laughs> all of you. you, you everyone submitted this week. Y'all did, y'all did such a great job of of making me feel spooked, um, <laughs> of like making me feel uncomfortable. So I just want to say good job. Um, and, and so this first one, let's let's get into the horror. So uh, things things start off fairly innocuous. We have uh, this this uh, character Gene. Um, who is at a desk as these two young men come in, Kareem and Luke, um, who uh, who have come in and are and, and are going to take a social hygiene treatment, which is already so like it's such a such a gross idea, social hygiene. <laughs> and as we go and we we sort of get revealed that um, Luke has been here before and has undergone the treatment, and now Kareem wants to. Uh, Luke is a sponsor, and they are you know getting consent and a bunch of things. As it's revealed that this procedure is to get rid of unhygienic social and uh, social beliefs. So basically get rid of your beliefs and make them more in line with the majority, with the hygienic majority. And uh, they sort of discuss their background a little bit. They, they talk about how Luke and Kareem had both were at university and started uh, learning more about the world and these foreign books and ideas behind firewalls and, and things like that and sort of educating themselves and getting more uncomfortable with the world because it felt unjust to them. But now Kareem is is about to leave university and he's about to join the workforce and these ideas, he's not going to be able to do anything to actually change the world to make them better. And so it just makes him sad and uncomfortable. And Luke did it. Now he's popular and sort of left him behind. And they, they're <laughs> so uh, the the three characters are all very like positive with each other, sort of encouraging Kareem. And uh, Kareem finally signs off at the end and he's basically going to go off and get re-educated and maybe even have his sexuality changed as well in addition to his his beliefs. And so he's just like completely like choosing to give into the system and it's really horrifying that Mm -hmm. these people can just do it and just like a little bit of pressure can just like make you just like give up on making the world a better place and just pretend that the world is fine and just choose to believe wrong it's horrible Mm -hmm. it's like it's a it's a consensual mind wiping and re-education except or brainwashing basically except it's like this this world does not actually like give you a true option you don't you, your option is to suffer upon the understanding of the real to try to make the world a better place or to give in and put on the illusion and actually suffer in a way that you don't even realize you're suffering yeah definitely uh and yeah i just really love this this story i mean there's a good amount of social commentary in uh, in there but i think overall uh it's just very effective in this sort of uh, horror sci-fi s world that is being built here um and i think one of the strongest 
parts of this is a lot of the a lot of the scientific dialogue and um just how this procedure really works and also the reasons be behind it is where the the horror fully comes in this idea that you are living within a world that is so fine with conformity that you yourself as a free thinking person is choosing to instead of um suffer from the from being ostracized you're choosing to to conform and that's a very horrible feeling and and is definitely i guess a very relatable feeling for uh some people I, I know i've definitely felt that to where it's easier just to go with what is fine than uh go with what's uh, what you want that is uh, one reason why f- at least for me for so many years i didn't listen to metal because uh metal uh in in a lot of people's eyes isn't a black thing so yeah i don't know this this story just really got uh, got me thinking it uh definitely hit a, a really solid chord with me and throughout it's pretty effective of this sort of snapshot that we get into this wider horrible world so really great job yeah um i think what's what's really interesting about this is that all the horror is entirely in the reader there's no horror apparent within like the characters themselves it's all just like your own reaction to uh this thing that these characters are really happy about but it's actually really really terrible yeah so fantastic job um and up next is motive name with captive so thanks for joining us motive name i I think Mm -hmm. they're a new writer or at least they haven't written in a while um but regardless thanks for joining us so uh captive um um a motive name actually mentions that this story is inspired by um a short story by um peter watts um published on uh clark's world magazine uh which you can Mm. actually just look it up it's called the things and it's basically it's the movie the thing told from the things perspective oh, um it's i think it's, i've it, i think i've read a I, segment i, I of might that. have sent it to you uh, yeah. because i i really really enjoyed it um so in this um we have a a a character where it takes a little bit to to, to piece together what exactly this is mm-hmm. and like where it is i mean it, in... it starts in a very abstract mm-hmm. uh, non-literal mm-hmm. place which is really yes awesome. yes um that it wakes up in a cage and it's not aware of boundaries but then it is aware i is a frame of warm yielding carbon compounds uh, <laughs> and sorts of describes a human body and basically implies that it's within where the brain is and so we're like okay so this is like the brain talking and and as we go forward we're like wait no the brain is sort of doing the human is sort of doing stuff on its own and this thing is just kind of like watching and Mm -hmm. like occasionally like interfering but mostly just like waiting and we sort of understand that we are in an astronaut's body and later that this is actually is it steve armstrong i just forgot his name neil armstrong i don't know why it's steve (laughs) <laughs> is that a person it might be that's person. his brother anyway right it might be um or it might be um anyway neil armstrong as they uh decide to come back and it, this this creature continuously is like sort of like disturbed by the other humans that's around it just by the scenario it is in and how there's so many like cages um but they arrive back on earth um and uh are, are, are now in this sort of like cageless space and we're a little bit afraid it's been it's been a while since it was on the moon it's like 
it, this this thing is truly disturbed to be where it is. Um, I'm not entirely sure, like, what part of being inside a human body makes it so disturbing or, like, what it is supposed to be doing instead. Um, but it sort of resonates with the feeling that God is dead, as in, like, kind of like its home is dead, is I think that's sort of the implication of its feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and that here there are no further cages and that it's going to drown in air on this rock alone surrounded by beasts uh humans um which seems like like a pretty alien way to to view the earth but a pretty horrifying way to to live yeah definitely so i think this story is a great use of the um, alien point uh, the alien point of view i mean the things that are being described are normal conventions for for us but the way that they are being De, uh, describe definitely break them down into their core con, uh, components from a point of view that isn't fully understanding of like what they are uh, and I think that is definitely where the horror does come in this this idea of this uh, being basically being uh, deep within someone's mind or I guess brain matter for me I don't know it kind of harkens to the idea of a living subconscious right something that is viewing what you're doing through your own eyes but is a unwilling part participant it's just along for the ride uh, and I mm-hmm. think the one of the most effective things about this story beyond how it is describing thing is just the overall prose and this sort of this sort of abstract journey that we are kind of going on. I mean, uh, I was in the same boat as uh, you were, where uh, in the beginning I wasn't sure what was going on and I wasn't really sure what was happening. But then as it continued, uh, more bits of in uh, more bits of information that that we are getting fed uh colors what we have already read uh you know like i mean by by the end i was like oh that's what the uh warm yielding carbon compound is it's a body um so yeah uh i think this story does a great job at just throwing you in there, uh, allowing you to discover these things along with the point of view. So really great job. Um, but yeah, wonder, wonderful story. Uh, wonderful first entry uh, motive name. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. And up next is Haunt of the Heron with Procedural. Suicide mention. Wait. Oh. <laughs> it's a it's a it's a trigger warning it's yeah that's a bad joke i'm sorry um so this is uh another truly horror yeah this is, every, every story was horrible was was a horrifying story um a lot of existentially horrifying sort of stuff mm-hmm. very which is very some non, of the best kind of horror very non-physical threats all mm-hmm. of these so um this one it, it takes us a while to to get to it, uh, to to what the the whole crux of this is. We have our our main character uh, is uh, riding on a bike through a city and and tracing fishing line. It's very mm-hmm. we're very confused as to what exactly well, you know why they are using fishing line to to traverse this this city. And it sort of seems like are we in a post apocalypse. Um, uh, this this character is like a, he throws a brick through the front of a of a hotel just to pass through it a little bit faster but like why and as they pass there's still like food there it's just a little bit stale so it like couldn't have been like a like a, a apocalypse a while ago but there's no threats here either what's going on eventually 
we uh, they they get through the initial uh parts of their of their journey uh traveling through an urban landscape they're on a highway and we we can see in the distance what's going on the cityscape is splitting and expanding and getting bigger uh, with more buildings uh splitting apart as they they continue to grow relatively fast it seems like mm-hmm. um where they they have to keep pedaling to make sure that they catch up um to wherever they need to go as they they uh, catch up they get to whoever seems to be the, the closest to them um and someone is uh calling for help and it's one of their one of the seven people that they're they're with and they've broken their leg and we realize what's happened here the city this 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 world is now just expanding every place getting further from every place at the same time every building getting further from every building with more buildings springing up in between just space expanding right um and so these seven people, they were lucky enough to uh, start together, basically, and to pay attention when this started happening. This has been accelerating, it seems like, although that's not set out right. It's just something you sort of realize and get horrified by. Um, they all sleep together in a big pile, but when they wake up after just a couple hours, they are like five kilometers apart, and they have to bike as fast as they can, connected by the fishing line, which... Um, expands just as the rest of the space does to find each other again so that they can sleep together again and not be alone. Now, this this person's broken a leg and they never really got along with the main character, but the main character is now forced into a decision of whether to um, stay with them because they, they will not be able to get back to the group in time or to leave this person behind alone and head back to the group. It's a hard decision and, and it seems like they are they are willing to stay with this person to do the right thing and mm-hmm. to do the their best to uh to to be with this person even as they are um being cut off from, from the rest of the people and they don't even like each other very much but it 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 seems like uh the, the the person with a broken leg her name is Sarah she decides to do the really really hard thing and she tells them fuck you go ahead and leave me um uh you know I'll I'm, I'm going to be a dick to you anyway you know we never got along I, my leg's broken go go with the others and like sacrificing herself and making it easier for him by being a jerk to him and um he austin uh the main character leaves her behind as he pedals off to reach the other six people the only people um left in the world everyone else must be thousands of miles away now mm-hmm. and we <clears throat> sort of get like the futility of this and just how terrifying this infinite space is this ever expanding loneliness is yeah definitely uh there's a strong sense of uh hopelessness in this story mm-hmm. um especially when it when it uh proceeds towards uh the end but honestly i think this story does a fantastic job at uh showing us well first and foremost i've never seen a situation like this in any story or uh media so so i think it's really great and i love how uh uh, original it uh, really feels like at at least to a me um but yeah i think that just the way that a lot of things are illustrated and um described is where a lot of the horror really comes from and um especially once we get the full scope of this of this situation this again is uh one of those stories where the horror is really coming from us the uh reader putting putting ourselves in these situation i mean there is so much un 
certainty when it comes to being in this this world there's um a lot of fear i mean you can wake up and you would have com- completely lost everyone that is uh, around you and i think it's it's even better to where there doesn't seem like there's any hope of it stopping or uh, any way for this to stop it seems like they are uh just fighting for their lives in something that might never end and there is a yeah. lot of bleak uh hope hope hopelessness in that and uh and it really does make me feel as a reader um as to how insignificant humans are really in the grander scheme of what could possibly happen um yeah it seems like everyone uh, th- these these characters are so cut off from society they only have each other and they are way too busy just trying to find each other every morning to Mm -hmm. figure out the secrets they're not going to solve this thing this is just this is the end this is and they are just trying to make the the end not so lonely as long as they can yeah and it really feels like they will just continue to bike and run for as long as they can or until they all end up like sarah right yeah. Um, so yeah, really, really Having great to be abandoned job for dumb injuries. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's a fantastic job, and I think it's a very e- effective story that you've given us this week. So yeah, I really loved it. Yeah. I, there's actually like a lot you could read into this. There's a lot of analysis you can make. Um, mm-hmm. it, so this is inspired by this sort of like the the idea of expanding space and how mm-hmm. the end of the universe might be basically like this with these photons traveling through the void, never interacting with anything else ever again, um, <clears throat> which is terrifying. But also um, I find it like, like there's clearly like a lot you could read in here about, uh, about the sort of uh, this idea of like the city is, you know, place where everyone is supposed to live and it's supposed to be a place of much life is like increasingly more confusing and, and unlivable. Um, and how it actually like pushes us apart even mm-hmm. though we try really really hard to connect in spite of it yeah um i think i mean there's a lot you could read to this i mean the fact of like um the the a bicycle is sort of like the most like natural of human inventions like it's the most one like in line with like living with the world right it doesn't cost any energy it's human powered right yeah. and it's what you can use to navigate this landscape and and use to connect to other people um the fishing too I, I know i'm reading into it a lot but uh, anyway my, well, no i mean my, I guess this, my point is here it, there's no. a lot to read into and it's very easy to read into the story um so uh haunt of the heron actually i really recommend that you polish the story up and do something with it because i think it's like very it there's a lot of potential here oh yeah definitely i mean yeah uh as you said there's a mixture of of great commentary and uh cosmic horror so yeah definitely uh if if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't read this story yeah definitely come come in and uh, read it i mean it's, read all of the stories they're, they're just they're sort of wonderful horror oh yeah definitely, wonderful definitely. horror i think i think um, this is definitely one of our um greatest pools when it comes yeah. to like great especially stories. regarding the especially regarding the the, the theme right yes <laughs> Definitely. But uh, thank you very much, Haunt of the Heron. And up next is Wild Bow with Liminality. So uh, this story starts off one way and then increasingly gets a little bit more uncomfortable until it goes somewhere <laughs> horrible. Um, or the implication is somewhere horrible. Yeah, so we have our, our, our main character, Allison and Vince. Mm-hmm. Um, so Allison is in a, a, 
a cafe. She's working on her laptop at for her university homework when this guy, Vince, sits next to her. The uh, cafe is mostly empty. And it's just them talking, basically, as Vince... Um, he just starts to basically imply that he knows a lot about her and sort of like flirting with her. And we, we see that Allison is very like awkward and, and shy around this handsome man. Um, but then he does some weird stuff. He flips a bunch of coins all to land on their sides just like perfectly. And at the end, I, I'm skipping through a lot of this. This is this is a slow boil and it's mm-hmm. very disturbing as it, as it increases. <clears throat> Implying that he's been in a groundhog day sort of situation he's been in this endless loop for who knows how long experiencing the same i think 19 hours it was not even a whole day yeah um and he's uh, gotten to know a lot of people and she sort of doesn't believe this and uh but as he speaks he he talks about it it's really it's it's clearly extremely unpleasant um and uh increasingly more and more creepy and then finds out that the the cafe is closed and she can't get out he, he he reveals what he's been doing with his Groundhog Day. Apparently, the powers that put him in here, some supernatural force, wanted him to learn a lesson. But he didn't learn it in time, mostly because he got increasingly lonely and unattached from humanity, and that made him not able to do it in time. And eventually, the powers that be got fed up with him, and they just left him here in the loop. A torture forever. Eventually, he decided... I just eventually you run out of things to do, I guess, to break the people in his simulation with him. He mm. First, he got to know them. He makes them fall in love with him. He knows them completely. And then he uh, pretends that they can help solve the, the thing. And then he breaks them one day at a time for hundreds of years. And eventually, after he breaks them enough, they start carrying over their messed up things into the next loop until eventually they're so broken and like inhuman mentally that they stop that they disappear from the loop entirely and he's done this to five and a half tables at the cafe already and she's just the next one and he already got her sister who used to sit with her but doesn't anymore she i think she leaves the cafe and we get the implication that this is what's going to happen to her. There's nothing she can do about it. She can't even remember this conversation for the next day when he continues the process. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, hey, this is what a quarantine does to you, you know? Uh, <laughs> you become a, a time-looping psychopath. Um, but, no, uh, I think this story is, is really, really great. I mean, it's a fantastic slow burn, and I really do like how their discussion goes from just typical flirting to something so much more sinister to where now you were looking at this uh, person of Vince uh, at at first with 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 sort of, with some sort of sympathy because they are caught in this like groundhog day loop but then when you find out exactly what he is doing during this this loop you you slowly f- find out that he's this sort of like time loop monster in a sense, that's taken so many people. So yeah, overall, I mean, this story is just so well well written, and it's a really great slow ride that brings you into it, line line by line. Um, <clears throat> and you know, it's it's akin to that fear of like there's nothing you can really do to where 
you in in yourself in that moment are are so small to the grander hands that are uh, at work here. And I mean, it is uh, very clear to to me at at least after reading this is that Vince will continue to to do this up until he is, I guess, pushed out of of this look, uh, pushed out of this loop, if ever. So yeah, I mean, it's a really great read. Uh, and I mean, again, this is one of the many stories I would recommend people come and read because it's it's a ride throughout. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty, <laughs> it's it's messed up. <laughs> I, like the just the sheer hopeless and helplessness of it of like this guy is hopeless i, I mean his hope is that he if he tortures enough t- people and, and breaks them out of the loop then eventually mm-hmm. the things will notice him and do something else with him i guess yeah I, like the, the other thing is that like it's such a hopeless hope for him too because you're like these things wanted him to learn the lesson to be a better person right and then he's gonna go and torture 137 <laughs> people out of existence right and like like they would just make the punishment worse I'm sure yeah, you would think, like, yeah, it's like, this is, this is a futile evil campaign for something that will, it, it won't even make them. I'm sure they're not even going to be allowed to like stop existing either. For yeah. The horror that they've done. And I mean, going in a uh, bit deeper at at least some sort of commentary that uh, I got out of it is that bad breeds bad. His, his own torture and his own doom being mm-hmm, in this mm-hmm, cycle mm-hmm. has thus pushed more people into their own doom and their own torture and how it's sort of showing us this never-ending cycle that because one person has has the will to do so they are infecting other people with their own doom you know just how bad feelings breed bad feelings so yeah i just really love that subtle commentary that's being played with here yeah you're like so 137 people, I think that was the number. I hope I'm not just pulling that out of my ass, but um, are going to get horribly tortured just because these like superpowered beings just didn't pay enough attention when they decided to leave a person toward to infinite torture, basically. Uh-huh. Horrible. Don't don't sentence people to infinite torture. They do bad things. <laughs> they don't like it. Yeah, but uh, great job, Wild though. And uh, up next, and our last story for this week is by. Mizey one with stuck. So this is Elliot from um I almost said Deep Impact. I mean to say <laughs> Pale Reflections. Um and also now a new uh, bonus content show uh as well that that they've they've started called The High Ground where they talk about the Star Wars prequels. That actually last night um that this episode comes out so actually tonight Jarvis uh there's going to be a episode 2 uh watch on the Doof Discord where everyone is going to get together and watch uh watch it at the same time. So that's a fun oh, that's thing awesome. that we're doing. Um, but all right, so this last story by Mizey One is another sort of existential horror. Uh, this is told in second person, and it tells a story about how you, um, you are inside of this sort of, uh, you, you are surrounded by metal, and you can't really sleep because sleeping is something that you do when you make your body work, and you're not making your body work. You're just sitting there. And you can't really make yourself do anything. And the longer that you can't make yourself do anything, the worse you feel about not being able to make yourself do anything. And the harder it is to make yourself do something. And so this cycle is extremely hard to break and gets harder to break as as you don't defeat it. And that's kind of the, the message of the story. Um, as why would you even get up and move? Every other place in this 
little cage of metal, this 10 feet by 10 feet of silvery, once smooth metal, it's all the same. It's all the same. I love the way that this is phrased. You do not move simply because there's nowhere worth moving to. The other locations are just as metallic and barren as your current position. Except for Mm. some parts which are sort of rusting away and getting smaller. And so there's a part of the brain that panics at the claustrophobia of it, of of space getting smaller as this uh, part of the space around them sort of vanishes with disuse. Um, But then the other part of the brain says, well, what does it matter? This isn't going to, it won't be that much worse. This is already pretty much as bad as it can get. Right. Even though this is actually worse, it just becomes sort of a thing of like it not being worth the effort of making it better. And sort of in this space, the the if it is disused, it goes away. But the more it gets, the more it goes away, the more the less incentivized you are to use it. And it used to be bigger. It used to be able to move around. But then you got tired and it got boring and it all sucked. It wasn't worth it. And so you did let it go into disuse. Sort of in the same way that the space is shrinking with stagnancy, so is your mind as well with this depression. The apathy grows and the depression grows. And eventually all of the space will disappear and it will just be you and your body and you will let that disappear too, basically. Mm. It's... um. Really fucking depression. The Very. Really fucking depression is not what I meant to say, <laughs> but it, it's also correct. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, this this story is like two two pronged horror, right? I mean, going off of the story itself, this situation that this character finds them themselves in is so bleak and it's so hopeless, right? To where there's no reason to move but the fact that you aren't moving you are doing something is where this issue this this deep-rooted problem comes comes from and really uh at least in a uh, mind reading this this story really heart this story really hearkened to um uh as you said a uh, deep depression that that feeling that there's nowhere worth moving to so why would you move i mean hey that's why I sleep in all all day. Some some days, you know, it's a it's a very strong and uh, palpable feeling that is being brought uh, across in this story. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think one of the most effective things about this this story that does lend itself to garnering a deeper uh, n- uh, analysis is um, kind of how abstract uh, a lot of things are. I mean, we are describing places in this sort of floaty manner that is only adding to the overall tone to the story, uh, to where it feels like we are floating out outside of ourself into these non-literal spaces that aren't even worth being in. Um, so yeah, it's the story is talking about this this idea of uh, worthlessness, this i this idea, of course, of de depression, uh, and it does it very effectively in a fairly short story, really. Um, so yeah, overall, I I really loved it. I um, really connected to this story in a, a lot of ways in the uh, in the horror that is being portrayed here. So yeah, I uh, really loved it. Great, great job. Yeah, um, it definitely, definitely captured the feeling of getting struck and stuck in a depression cycle. Mm-hmm. It reminded me that there, there was another story that someone wrote 
where um, this sort of like bone material started covering everything. Um, I, I, I can't remember if it was Hunt of the Heron or Ghost Pac-Man 4 or someone else. Those, those are my guesses, but I might be wrong. So mm. I apologize if it's someone else. No, I, but, I, I, um, I do remember it. Wasn't it like yeah. white gunk that, that covered stuff? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. bone-like. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Um, it's it's a pretty yeah, it's horrible. Um, depression sucks, and it does. I think the story captured the way that it sucks sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, well and think- I mean, you you also relate to the character too. It's kind of like, why should you move? Um, but all right, thank you yeah. so much to everyone who did submit a story this week. We wish we, we we wish we could talk about more, but it's already too late. So, <laughs> let's go ahead and just say a big old thank you to everyone who did submit a story this week. So, thank you very much to Eleanor Hemsworth, Ghost Pac-Man Four, Sarah Penguin, Captain Rhino, Getty Mancer Quest. No goodbye. Motive name. Hunt of the Heron. Wildbow. And Mizey One. Mm-hmm. And and we also want to say thank you to everyone who did leave two or more comments. Leaving comments not only on your own story but someone someone else's story can not only uh, allow you to look at your own story critically, but you are also providing that other person crucial crucial feedback, which they need to get better at writing. So thank you so much to to Sithril, Sarah Penguin, Haunt of the Heron, and Mizey One. Thank you so much for leaving comments. Y'all are fantastic, and and I saw some other comments uh, left by some other people, but it, just make sure to, to to leave two, right? Um, it can be one on your own story, one on another person's story. Also, consider responding to uh, a comments one left on your own story. Um, it, it shows them that you appreciate the 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 effort they put in reading your story, and also it provides you another um opportunity to reflect again and take in their words and sort of really see how you feel about it so i i highly recommend y'all do that and sort of keep that dialogue going back and forth um it's it's really i think it's really good for you Mm -hmm. most definitely if you want to be like all of these wonderful writers and submit your story to do the right thing you can do that by going to slash r slash do the right thing all you have to do is sit down for 30 minutes and write a complete short story using three of four words for that week that's right. And the best place to find out the words as soon as they come out is to follow us on Twitter, which is at RightThingCast. Um, you can also send us an email at RightThingCast.com just to say hi, hello, goodbye. Send us, you know, a pirated copy of your favorite movie, whatever you want. <laughs> exactly. And if you want to support us and all of the other wonderful things happening in Doof Media, you can do that by donating to Doof Media Patreon. Uh, all you need to do is donate a dollar or, or more per month and you will get access to the Doof Media Discord where we talk about all things podcast. Yeah, and there's so much else uh, going on in the Doof Media Network. Um, at the tender level, you get access to bonus content like the bonus content that me and Jarvis did talking about Palomaga Magical Magica Rebellion, which came out uh, last week. Nice. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's also uh, some other shows like I've mentioned, The, the High Ground, which is... Um, uh, Elliot and Ruben and I think Elliot's sister uh, talk about the, the Star Wars prequels and uh, maybe maybe more Star Wars. I'm not entirely sure. I think it's just the prequels for now. Um, and uh, in a really, really fun manner. So um, I highly recommend y'all, y'all check that out at the $10 level. Nice, nice. So, Matthias, what all is going on in Doof Media? 
Um, so much is going on in Doof Media all the time. Uh, right now the Doofcast is actually going to go on a um a spree of uh, Guillermo Guillermo. Why I don't know why I'm saying it that, Guillermo. that way. Guillermo del Toro movies. Um, starting from the very beginning to the very end on as part of their directing uh dissecting director series. I'm very excited for that, and um, I'm gonna try to try to uh guess on some of them. I guess I I just want to talk about these cool. Uh, these cool movies. Um, <laughs> maybe I'll bully someone into letting me talk about Pacific Rim, which is I I'm not Ooh. like an especial fan. I just I just like it. This neat. I will but. definitely try and be on that episode. I have a lot to say. <laughs> okay, I want to hear it. You should bully them into letting you on. Yes, Jaeger sure being will. drift compatible. Big dumb yes. monsters punching we even are, dumber uh, robots. We are the hunters. They are the hunted. Yeah. <laughs> giant monsters giant robots um we're we're singing along the theme um which is not a giant robot show it is a giant monster show it's yes uh it's an anime uh we should do a we should do a doof over on it on attack on titan yeah totally yes on attack on titan i still haven't finished it i haven't seen the last like three seasons you've only seen the first season no, oh, I didn't know it was only four. Yeah, I've seen two seasons. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, uh, I would definitely willingly sit down and uh, re-watch it. So we should definitely think about doing that. That'd be great. There's a lot mm-hmm. to talk about. I, I think this is, it was the first, like, weeb. Like, the thing that got me to be a weeb for a little bit in high school. Not for mm-hmm. very long, but a little bit. That was a big one. And then you watched Sword Art, and then you were fully in and there. And then I watched Sword Art, and then I would stop being a weeb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just kicked you out. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good good bounce out um okay that's all we have for y'all this week let's find out the words sure so the words for next week are button band era and short and also next week the topic will be third person omniscient yeah so i posted the prompt and i accidentally again i think this is the second time i did this posted the challenge for the week after next week which will be um morality tales but uh for for next week just do something with third person omniscient that's the important bit um to uh to to use that that perspective of uh being disentangled from from any particular perspective if you need more guidance on what that is go ahead and message us on whatever platform you like email or or twitter or discord and we'll, we'll, we'll do our best but um some notable books that that do this is like a dune for sure does this mm-hmm. um i actually have no other examples ready but <laughs> there are plenty of other um, examples just search third person omniscient and and it'll come up i was about to say um how did i forget the author oh my god it's my favorite fucking book hello Jeez. uh it's by huxley do you know what i'm talking about uh brave new world brave new world but that's not third person so cut that isn't it in in the beginning oh i know yeah so it, it is, is third person i don't know if it's well, omniscient well it not. is third person but it switches quote-unquote perspectives halfway through because it goes from the uh, main character that grew up in the world and then john who didn't grow up within the world um right. but no it's not third person omniscient i don't think so um but yeah plenty plenty of books um that do this and it sort of flex that muscle of of putting multiple characters thoughts and maybe playing with irony and things like that um working outside of a character's perspective while also showing their insides when it's um important um but okay what's the story you're gonna write next week jarvis so the story i'm going to write next week is going to be about um the little skateboard that could 
You see, okay. this this skateboard has been owned by so many people, from band members to um even Donald J. Trump. Believe it or not, homie can shred, bro. Um, and I mean this this skateboard has been around since since the beginning, since since the heyday of uh skateboarding when the the entire era was obsessed with smelling like teen spirit and being as grungy as possible. Well you see now in the modern era, when there are hoverboards and just cheaper cars, no one really needs this lonely little skateboard anymore. So it hangs out in a gutter below everything else in the bile and bubbly filth of uh, of small town texas there are tiny buttons to great rocks that that float by it down this long long stream and you see all roads of the sewer leads to a waterfall of course so so it travels and travels all the way down to this very short waterfall and it plop, falls down and it cascades into this beautiful lake where a little boy, Timothy, finds it, looks at it with all of its muddy corners and, and unkempt rusty screws, and when others would toss it or let it float back down the same path it did come, Timothy decided to take to take it in, show his poppet, and well, of course they started working on it until the fateful day where that be- where that once beautiful skateboard is pristine and riding once more. Wow, that's beautiful. Thank you. Just beautiful. Thank you. What about you? Um, I'm I'm gonna write about it's sort of a sort of a documentary following this this one band actually. Um, that that uh, became very um, very very popular for for a short time. Mm, spinal so, um, yeah, this uh, no, uh, this is a this is a band actually of the future. We're actually going to the future a little bit. So, um, they were trying to you know trying to get popular some way. They're sort of like a sort of like a, a metally like a folksy sort of metal kind of thing. Um, a little bit of punk added in there, a dash of it, which will become more important as we as we go. Uh, they they needed something to uh, get popular, right? And so there was this very there was this this trend that had just started, of um, well the the movie uh, Coraline two came out in, in a couple of years, uh, which obviously has a lot to do with uh with buttons, right? That's a big it's a big uh thing in there, and so sort of uh in 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 the wake of the release on on Halloween, um. There was a short trend where everyone uh, started sewing buttons onto their body um, over their eyes, right? Um, and um, originally it wasn't sewing. It was really just like sticking it in there. But then some punks actually did sew it on there, um, on their on their cheeks so, you, you know, they could still see. Um, and uh, then it just kind of took off as, as an aesthetic. And this band sort of latched onto it. And that sort of became their thing. And they were the bad buttons. Um, and they actually literally sewed on buttons onto their eyes, uh, not onto the eyeballs. It's just like onto the eyelid, you know, it's just, mm. it's like a, it's like a, it's like a, like a, what, what's it called? Monoglass? Mono? Uh, monocle. monocle. That, but like sewed in place where it's almost like, like shades, but like a button at the same time. Like they could see through it. And, um, sort of this, this, this trend sort of just like took off, like, like with a, with a vengeance and started the, the, the era of, of button 
of the button punks um and button punks what started off fairly reasonable you know putting a button onto their eye or or, or the back of the hand but then it sort of got out of control as you know most um uh, things do and um they started like like their entire eyebrows would be nothing but buttons sort of like stacked on top of each other um they would have it the quarters basically replacing all the piercings with buttons and then adding more until they were like more button than man Whoa. Um, and that would have been all well and good, you know, that's your own, your own body. But then that sort of became, uh, related to a sort of, uh, insurrectionist movement in the United States, a revolutionary movement that sought to bring down the government with the use of, of buttons. And it finally culminated with, um, kidnapping the, uh, at the time president of the United States and, um, sewing buttons on their eyes that had a bunch of propaganda written onto it, uh, which was actually pretty effective, uh, so, like, it, in the end, they were actually, they were stamped out and buttons were, were banned. However, a lot of their uh, initiatives were passed in the end. Mm. A, a more mild version, of course, of course. We don't give in to, to the button terrorists, uh, yeah. you know. But but a a scaled back version of, of, their, of their dreams. Um, so, and, um, of course, the band that kind of started this all was executed uh, in Washington, D.C. Uh, by... <laughs> um sewing to death whoa uh so that that was the story that's the documentary and so the the documentary you know the final shot is of um the the main the, the main the lead singer um having a button sewn in his throat uh chokes to death he falls down to the ground and his his two buttons fall off his eyes and roll down the street into the gutter wow Honestly, I think you just created uh, your own little genre. Of, Coraline two, yeah, Coraline two. I was I was focusing on that button punk. I can see it as as like sack punk, to where they sew buttons, but then they also wear like clothes that a like small sack mm-hmm. doll would, would would wear. I want yeah, I want I want us to go back. I want I want us all as a punk movement mm-hmm. to dress as jesters, as court jesters. Yes. With, with big the balls like, and everything, big, yeah, exactly. Like the big ball clothing, you know. Mm, yeah, and then the face paint, the mask. I can feel that. I can feel that. And, and honestly, mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. by doing mm-hmm. that, throwing uh, Molotov we'll cocktails, etc. I think by doing that, we'll be able to pass a, a lot of uh, gesture-friendly legislature. Because I mean, really, the uh, gestures have been giving have been given an unfair shake in recent years. And I think we need to really raise their awareness i think that would be uh a do the right thing that yeah, would be the right thing to do yeah be, to do the right thing to do thank you have a good have a good evening